Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Hello. Hey, how are you? Okay, is my audio all right? I'm on my phone. Yeah, it is. It's fine. Okay. Great. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna have to spring for a new laptop here. Oh, did it reach that time? Yeah, or figure out if there's something I can do for the existing one, but yeah, happens eventually. That. Yeah. I mean, how long you had that one for? Oh, quite a while. Yeah. It's like 2016, so. Oh, oh, when you said long, long ago, because so, I was going to tell you my story about Mac Mini. So I've had a Mac Mini since 2010, and it's really one that just sits in the cupboard doing, you know, sort of background workflows and all the stuff we talked about the other day. And while we were in South Africa, it stopped working. And normally it just needs someone to just reboot it. So I asked Catherine to reboot it, and it just never came up. And um, I got back home, and it's taken me a while to look at it and whatever, and I, I've tried all the things. And it turns on, and you can hear the fan going, and you think, okay, well, maybe it's working. But you plug something in, like a, a screen, and, and it doesn't show up. Um, so I finally took it to a, a – there's a local guy here who fixes computers, and he, and he said, yeah, I know your motherboard is completely gone. I thought, well, that's not bad. I mean, I paid probably, uh, what are we, 4,000 rand, so probably 200 pounds for it, brand new back when I bought it. It's lasted 12 years, 12 and a half years. It's a pretty good, pretty good return. Um, yeah. But uh, I was running, um, when I left Lakeside and I went on my own, I was using my wife's uh, M1 MacBook Air, and I just found that, I, yeah, it just didn't cope. Like with all the stuff that I was doing, Excel spreadsheets and Teams calls, because Teams memory usage is obviously so bad. Uh, it was so bad. They've improved that a lot. Um I was running out of disk space pretty much all the time, out of memory all the time. So I uh, I took the plunge and I bought a Pro. Which one did I buy? I can't remember. It's an M2 or M1. But uh, yeah, M2 Pro. And I I hardly noticed anything. Never worried mm. about anything. Just just all my worries went away. Yeah, I might have to go the Pro route. Um, Seven Air right now, which is probably part of the problem. But it's it's like an ancient Air at this point. Well, look, it's you know, and I was having this conversation with the guy at the gym today. We were just because he he because uh, no, I always uh, not always, but I have my iPad Mini with me when it, sometimes when I'm training because I'm watching something or I'm listening to something, and and that's that's the device that I typically if I'm watching something that's the one I carry around with me. And he was asking me, you know, why do you carry a little iPad Mini around with you? And I said, well, I, I can use my phone. My phone's got my gym program on it, so I don't like to I don't like to have like the little window on top of my gym program or my gym, my, my phone's in my gym program. And, and if I'm watching something like I've just finished watching DS9 again, you know, I like to have them separated. And he, we sort of got through the hook cause he was like, yeah, but no one uses iPads besides watching TV. I said, well, actually I use my iPad for everything. I, I take notes on it. I take pictures. I sign contracts. I, you know, if I've got ideas to draw out, I draw them out on there, you know, you know, I sit there in the sauna sometimes drawing stuff out. And he's, and he said, well, you're probably the, the one person. And I thought, well, maybe I am for now. But as the stuff gets better and better, you know, I think more people will do it. 
And and he, he sort of said, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then ironically, we were sitting in the sauna, and a guy, another guy walked in with his iPad mini and started drawing things out and said, see, it's already mm-hmm. pretty slow. Yeah, I feel like iPads are definitely more than just screens for watching TV. That's what I think of when I see their, uh, I feel like they've become one of those devices that's great for kids when traveling. And, you know, you see the kids with the special holders where they can, you know, watch their cartoons uh, before the flight, that kind of thing. Um, well, I actually think the, the iPad is not the right tool for a child. Um, mm. Probably, you know, number one is it's, it's a very expensive item. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Amazon Fire tablets, uh, and someone else recommended them to us, and we've had, we've had them with our kids now for yeah, six months. Now, if you think about a, an entry-level iPad, let's say it's roughly, I don't know, 300 pounds, 400 pounds, whatever that, you know, dollars, probably the same, very similar. Um, I think we paid 50 pounds on a special for them each. And they're pretty hardy. You know, my, my mm-hmm. son did break the screen while we were in Eisner. Now, the challenge there we had is that they don't have the same version out in South Africa. It's a little bit behind. But they also said to me they won't replace the screen. It's not worth the money. So so it's a very much a very cheap device. Um, and even when I came back to the UK and I brought the device back with me and I said, look, can you fix the thing? They said, no, it's not worth it. The, the screen will cost you 50 pounds. The label will cost you 30 pounds. And you can buy a new one for 80 pounds. So why would you? So that, that that's probably not a good thing. I think that, you know, the recyclability is not, isn't right. I mean, I think it needs to be something you could repair easily and cheaply and, and that sort of thing. But what's impressive with them is they've got a very good way to manage the content that the kids can, can see. And it's very simple. Like you can drag the bar as a parent and say, you know, my child is four years old. Here's, the, here's their birthday. And they'll limit the content based on age restriction. Which I think is great. Um, yeah. Where it's a bit of a pain is like, you know, especially when you when you're taking the kids around. I mean, these things don't have built-in 3G cards so, or 4G cards or whatever. So wherever you go and you want to put them on the Wi-Fi, you always have to log in as the parent to put them on the Wi-Fi. And there's a couple of little things where it's you know the user experience is not great, which obviously on the Apple devices is a bit better. But what I find with the Apple experience is you end up quite a, quite often with a kid playing a game, and my son's got this game he loves. It's like a dinosaur um, digger game. And it always wants him to buy more levels and to buy other apps. And, of course, he doesn't understand that when he sees the picture and he clicks on the picture, that that is taking him to another app. And it's a cost. Mm, yeah. And when I say, no, you can't have that, then he gets upset because in, in his mind, and he's so used to, especially on the Amazon devices, where any app he plays with on the Amazon device it's already included. In, I pay like a small fee. I think it's like you know, nineteen pounds a year or something uh, for the kids' subscription. And you know, he just gets the games and he plays the games. And and you know, there's a lot of good stuff on there. You know, my daughter, who's two and a half, you know, she's already practicing to write letters and write numbers. Uh, you know, she that she. I think I told you the story. She actually walked up to a chalkboard while we were at one of the places, and she took the chalk and she drew a letter. Because she's been practicing the pattern, she has no idea what the letter means. She's, you know, from, from memory, but but that mm-hmm. sort of thing is amazing. So I think from that point of view, I think you know, I think they're they're a necessary evil, um, and and our kids don't live on them. You know, they maybe get you know half an hour a day, uh, maybe an hour at the most. But it's, you know, they don't even look at them every day anymore. You know, initially it was like that, and then they then they kind of like very rarely will look at their screens, which is which is good and 
and bad. But I think it's I think it's it's something that's pervasive. I think you know the, you will see more and more of them as the the, the quality of, gets better at the lower at the lower levels. If you if you know what I mean. Mm. Have you heard the expression iPad kids? Oh, I've seen iPad kids. <laughs> um, you know, my mother loves to remind me of this because when my son was born, I said he will not he will not have an iPad till he's twelve. Because at the time, friends of ours, their kids basically were glued to their iPads. They would they would basically have the iPads and you can't you know also on camera, but they'd have the iPads in front of their face for like eight hours a day. Like we go out for lunch, and the kid could not walk or do anything without the iPad in front of them. And you know that, and if you took the iPad away, you were in for the biggest uh, tantrum you've ever seen. So yeah, that's what I've seen as iPad kids, and and it yeah, it definitely put me off. I'm, I'm very glad that my kids are are pretty at this stage. I mean, things can always change. They 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 manage their own time pretty well already, in the sense that they'll do it for maybe 10, 15 minutes, and they'll be on to go and build Lego or build train tracks or something like that. Yeah, I feel fortunate to have grown up, you know, when there was less digital easy access stuff pre pre iPhone pre tablet. So I think they're, uh, I guess, conscientious around it now and sort of controlling screen time and, and whatnot. But it's it's more, there's more temptation out there, I guess, for kids growing up to just get, you know, glued to technology really young. You know, you know I'm a hypocrite because I spend my whole life looking at screens. You know, this I'm doing the call with you today on my iPad because I've come to the conclusion that doing doing calls on my iPad is easier than trying to find the window for my team's calls on my desktop because I've got three screens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even if I'm taking a break, I'm reading my book on my iPad. You know, so I'm looking at screens pretty much all day long, unless I'm, unless I'm going for a walk and then I, you know, I look at the, 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 the scenery. But, you know, if I, if I look at it from a, an ADHD point of view, it's been a lifesaver having everything synchronized on across my devices in the same place organized because that's one of the things you struggle with when you have ADHD is you can very easily get lost in um, all the things you're doing. Um, so, you know, you've got to use the technology for the right reasons. Um, and in the same token, you know, living in a house full of, full of other people, if you want to watch something on TV and all the TVs are busy, you having an iPad is useful to have. Um, so. Yeah. So. Technology, what can you do? Can't live with it. Can't live without it. Well, you can only embrace it. And, and uh, you know, I'm looking at. at uh, yeah, I'm sure you've seen this on your your LinkedIn as well. I mean, the amount of AI stuff that's coming out and. Oh and yeah. Stuff. I mean, I, I I almost posted the other day that I that I'm actually like so overwhelmed and I and, and I know what's going on if I compare myself to the average person. Um, you know, my wife was asking me yesterday, like, can you show me how to use ChatGDP? And I was thinking, like. How do I even – and she wanted to do something specific. I said, I don't even think that's the right tool for the job anymore. I think there's so many services now, you don't even know which one is the right one to use. Yeah. Um, and and this is kind of – this is. I mean, this was always going to be the problem. In You still have to understand a bit of how it all works to understand what you're getting out of it, and, and you need to be a critical thinker, I think, to to what you get out. I mean, yes, ChatGDB is useful. It's very useful to get you going on something, but you can't you can't trust it completely. I mean, we've we've got content that we're going through at the moment, fact checking, and getting you know real uh, stuff out of because some of the stuff it's it's quoted has been terrible. Um, 
but you know, it's much easier to edit something than to start from scratch. Um, and that's the gain or the upside. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. I feel like um, every <laughs> multiple posts a day, look at this new, you know, tool that's leveraging OpenAI's technology to do this task for these people, right? There's a million of those coming out right now. Um, and it is overwhelming and it does feel, to me, it's, um, I'm still trying to figure out what what's the level of knowledge to obtain right now because it's a it's a job skill. You know, when does it become not a just a curiosity where people who are really into AI are, you know, learning how to be great prompt engineers and exploring with ways to use the backend technology to create um, you know, new and different uh, tools and, and user experiences, but when does it become like a, uh, I guess, integrated just into the workplace? Like, is it the Microsoft, when Microsoft Copilot goes live, that feels like inevitable to me. If everyone has access to the tools at work, that's when it gets mass adopted. But but yeah, is there something in between there where it's sort of a, uh, a skill that everyone needs to learn? Yeah, and then I think... And I think that's a very interesting observation because and I actually posted something on this today. So I'm reading a very good series of books by a guy named Mike Grift. Grist. Um and he's in and he's got AIs in AI has been a theme in a lot of the lot of the story in various forms. And one of the one of the and, and this is kind of the thing I think that that that, that lines nicely what you're saying. So so you have what what everyone's kind of expecting is AI is the Skynet data in Star Trek hell in in space odyssey you know those sorts of movies where where you're talking to something and it's talking back to you so your chat gdp experience right now um where it can talk to you now with a voice and it can talk to you by text and and you have an interaction and you know i had a, you know i was doing something the other night and i was literally i in fact i'll show you my wife how to use it and i, and I said look you can do it this way like and i wrote like we had like a like an interaction to do the thing I said, oh, you can just do my, you know, using my prompt generator, um, which which puts it all together. And you know, I write what I want, and then I just click on all the things that I needed to structure it and, and all that stuff. And those are those are two different approaches to the same mechanism, uh, you know, in, in what you're doing. And I think that'll become the first option where people are interacting with something and, and it's responding is what most people will get used to, or most people will deal with. Um, you then have, uh, and then you have the more sophisticated people that'll use the prompt and, and do that kind of stuff. Then I think you will have the other scenario, which is what you mentioned, which is the more integrated feeling. So, like if you can imagine, and and I'm one of these people very guilty of this is you know there's those those emails where you you write the nasty response, the sharp, the blunt, the whatever, um, which I, I must say I work quite hard not doing, but I still do it sometimes. And while you're writing the nasty prompt you could have your AI fixing that language as you're writing. So, so an example of this already to an extent is, is Grammarly. While you're writing some text, mm-hmm. you can tell it to say, I want this to be professional, I want this to be jovial, I want this to be neutral, whatever it is. Um, and that's already kind of giving you, you know, you can manually fine tune your stuff. But you could, in theory, you know, in the Microsoft world, let's say they're going to use Copilot to do this. You know, you could say, set some rules for yourself with the AI to say, if I start going down the route of being nasty, spiteful, disrespectful, obnoxious, whatever, what, what, fish-based, 
stop me, rewrite the text to be friendly, you know, collaborative, etc. Um, or um, maybe in extreme cases, stop the email from going out or pause mm. it for a day and then check with me the next day if I still want to send that nasty, snotty, ranting email, as an example. Th- those two scenarios are probably the main ones. And then I think you'll get the third one, which I think I saw this on, on a podco- uh, YouTube episode yesterday, where while you are having a meeting, for example, and you're discussing the actions like I'm doing some copywriting, trademarking stuff at the moment, while I'm saying to to my guy, look, I need you to, you know, we need to research this, do this, do this, do this, the AI is picking up on those actions and it's doing the research for you. So the sort of auto GTP um, theme that's coming out where we're saying go and research the name, go research the the concept, go go check the the various um, territories for, for IP. It can go and do that stuff and it can almost self-direct itself based on that action. So, so that need to go and take the action, go do the work and then come back with the response could be so, can be short completely that by the time you finish the meeting, you might already have the answer or while you're having the meeting, the answers are bubbling up in your screen because the AI is listening and doing the, 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 the I want to say easy work, but the, the, the grunt work for you. That would be super interesting. I know the, the demos that they've shown of the you know conceptions of Copilot so far are um, definitely on like the meeting transcription and taking notes of the action items, but having um, having like a AI in the room with you during a call to you know move things along would be incredibly interesting. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I mean that, that, that was my hope when I when I use Auto AI is that it'll it'll pick out the mm-hmm. actions and it'll summarize the the stuff, and that's not it, it hasn't been very good. It's useful if I miss a meeting or it's useful if I need to go back and refer to the meeting and then I, I can go look at the transcripts and read them as opposed to pick them out. I mean, it's still, it's, you know, Otto in this, uh, to, to what I've seen so far, still requires you to go and pick out the interesting stuff. But I'm sure there's other services that can that can do a better job. And I think there's a, there's a level of, you know, personal AIs as well. And, and there was another series of books that I was reading, um, which goes down more this route where, you know, you almost have your dedicated AI. And, it, you know, I look at it um, with my wife and I, with the kids here, um, and, and even in South Africa, you get so much information sent to you from the schools, like activities for the week and events coming up and and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's overwhelming because you've already, from a work point of view, getting sent a lot of stuff. Now you've got the school sending you a lot of stuff, so emails and, and WhatsApp groups and, and, all that, and all that. And if you had your personal AI that was just, digesting that information and pulling out the important stuff, putting it into your calendar, for example, like just the, the, the concept, just that little bit of, you know, there's a, like tomorrow the kids are going to be doing a, a singing um, thing for the coronation. Um, you know, if my wife saw it or I saw it, we have to go and spend two minutes putting it into the calendar, but it also breaks our concentration because now you're going to go do that two minute thing. If that could just naturally be digested by the AI and put into your calendar, that would be great. You know, you're, you're, I've got a whole bunch of emails here, but we're doing some other stuff and, and just digesting a whole bunch of email trails into a single summary that says, okay, out of all these 15 emails, this is what the important, this is the important concept. This is what's been discussed as possible routes. And this is what you need to do. Um, I think that would be awesome as a, as a solution. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's, um, it's both a way to generate a 
ton of content. So there's potential for content explosion with tools like this, but then also the assistance to digest the content that's already there and provide that next layer of seamless. I mean, there's already a little bit of this, right? Like if you start adding an event, um, I think in Apple or Google Calendar, if it's kind of seen an invite come through, through your mailing service, it can sort of, oh, do you mean this? So it's sort of the next step on top of that to um, just pull it without you even asking. Yeah. But that's that's a little bit generalized. Um, mm. And and that's and and you know my experience with that hasn't been fantastic. And there's and yeah. and it's not that's not really an AI problem all the time. But for example, like I had a car service the other day, where I got the I got the confirmation email. So I still had to go click on create the event. It didn't copy any of the information across. So I still manually copying all the information across. That wasn't a great experience, and that's never been improved by Apple. I mean, that's been an issue for ages. When it says create the event, it should be able to take the information out. And and Fantastical. Is, is a much better tool when I was using it where you literally could just copy and paste the text and it would go and create the entry on the day with the information mm. and that worked quite well uh, but I, but I, you know there's still a there's not a there's not a, a consumption of the information in context of what's important to you and I think that's where the AI would be interesting to me so you know there's a lot of stuff that comes in as I say from the school that's got nothing to do with us you know it's different years or it's or it's different um commitments you know like my son goes mm-hmm. to certain activities and, and it's the other activities so we you know we need that no, that noise filtered out and and i think that's where and we've talked about this before that ability to get something and this is where chat is great you know in some respects you could go and give it a paragraph of stuff and say explain this to me in layman's term in bullets like i'm a five-year-old and it'll do that yeah. for you and that's fantastic now if that could just be a little bit more intuitive in in your workflow that would be, that, that that I think is the next step, and, and I think that's where, you know, if you look at like Apple with their shortcuts, you know, I would see Apple probably launching something fairly soon, that'll mm-hmm. tie in there where you can create a shortcut to do some stuff, um, with an AI backend. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. sure. It's coming. But yeah, we'll just see where this stuff goes. Exciting, exciting developments all around. Um, I do need to run. Any parting thoughts? Um. I would think if you're not already playing with some of the AI stuff, you, you should be. And I mean, not just you, other, but anyone else. Yeah, and generally. I think if you, yeah, don't, you don't know, if you don't know where to start, I think you need to find someone. And if you don't know anybody, you can always come to, to me because this is, this is going to be a very quick moving learning curve. And yeah, I, I think that it'll blow a lot of people. Not necessarily out of the workforce. I think they'll still still be the workforce, but I mean, I think I think the ability to leverage these tools is the multiplier for a lot of. I mean, you know, I see it every day, and and I think that's that's going to be the difference between being very successful and and not. Yeah, well said. I think it's coming. So doing a little bit of skill prep is um, smart move. Yep, the best return in the world is is, is skilling yourself up. All right. Well. Great chatting, as always, and I'll see you next time. Super. Thanks, Heather. Keep well. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. 
The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.